0: Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima-Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today I'm excited to bring on a friend of mine who focuses on integrative nutrition. And as a health coach, Uma Naralkar, I'm really excited to have you on because we're doing this entire like wellness series this month and just preparing for the new year and talking about everything going on right now, especially with COVID and just trying to stay the healthiest possible. I am excited to talk to you about all the things. So welcome, Uma.
1: Thank you for having me, Stephanie. I'm super excited as well.
0: What was your biggest mom win of the week?
1: Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. And okay, I'm just gonna tell you, I, and I know this question was coming, but uh, you know, my son is 11, my older son, and we are uh, in the process of applying to private school for middle school. He's in elementary school right now. And I had no idea, but that process is like applying to college.
0: Oh, it's um, insane. We it, had to do that for it, kindergarten.
1: I had no idea. I had no idea. But I believe that at least when they go to uh, elementary school, you know, they are not writing those essays and being interviewed. You, parents do all that. And they kind of just, you know, the kids just kind of follow you. But w- in middle school, the kids are a big part of the process. And they have to write big essays. And it's, it's mind-blowing. They take several tests and more than anything else, they're interviewed, right? So there's this whole Zoom interview. So the when, coming back to the when, I was just so nervous about my son interviewing on Zoom. And, uh, you know, we went through a couple of, I just went back and forth with him to make him more comfortable, but it wasn't on Zoom, right? He's seeing someone on Zoom and talking to them, but it went really well. And I felt like he was 100% himself and he was not nervous. And for the first five minutes, I was like hovering around, just making sure it's going to be okay. And then I kind of just let him be. And he was amazing. He was so good. He was definitely better than me, for sure. And I felt so proud of him. And they made him do things that he's never done before. He took a test on Zoom, Uh, He had write an essay and uh, we didn't know that. So we didn't practice it. And I just feel like sometimes, you know, when you're going through the process of parenting, you're always like, you you think that your kids are not going to be able to do something or you have this, you know, sense of nervousness. But when you see them thrive, it's just that proud moment where I was like, oh my gosh, he's so good. I didn't know he was going to be so good. So it was definitely a big win. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think we're definitely ready for college applications now.
0: Can you imagine that right now doing everything on Zoom? It's so crazy to like interview and be only, what, 10 years old and interviewing. Yeah, exactly. And he hasn't seen
1: the schools, none of them. So it's all uh, just, you know, whatever he can see on Zoom.
0: Well, so speaking of all of that and distance learning and doing things on Zoom, how is parenting right now? What is your kind of day-to-day look like? How are you managing to run your business and do schooling and all of that? What is your family situation? Tell me about, you know, your kids, their ages and kind of the roles your husband and you play.
1: Okay. So I have to say it was challenging way way more challenging in the beginning because we started our lockdown in March and the kids have never got gone back to school and then we had quite a long summer where summer camps and everything was cancelled too so I consider all that as homeschooling so we've you know we've evolved with it and I think now we finally do have a system going because my husband he's a cinematographer so he shoots movies and commercials and right now most production is not happening so he has his meetings and phone calls at home I completely work from home and the kids are both homeschooling and I think the part where they are on the zoom calls I've decided not to try to control it right so initially I was like that mother who was like you have to be on the call and you have to pay attention and I just realized it's 8 30 to 2 30 at least for my older son and It's a long time to sit there and it's public school. So there's 30 plus kids on that Zoom call. There's not too much opportunity to ask questions. It's not very interactive because they just don't have that kind of space. So I let him take breaks when he wants. And they're not long breaks. And we've come to an understanding and he comes outside and he either jumps on the trampoline or just sits there and gets some fresh sunlight. And then he goes back in and he's so much better as against me trying to push them to just sit there for those, it's like an hour and 30 minutes and then they get a 10 minute break. Oh, wow. And it's back to back. So the first thing that's helped is me me just backing off a little bit and giving both of them a little more space and letting them take these short breaks when they need them so that they're more present when they have to be on Zoom and the space we fortunately we do have enough space so that we can each have our own work areas but initially I was experiencing a lot of interruption so they would just come in right and be like mommy I'm hungry mommy I need this and it's all just to say hi. And there was there were no boundaries. So uh, this is going to sound so crazy, but we've created these, uh, we've created a hat system. So if I'm in a busy meeting and if I know that they could interrupt me, I'm wearing a black hat. It's just a hat. And they know not to disturb, not to come in when I'm in that zone. And when I'm not wearing the hat, if I'm doing something that's where they can come in, then they can come in. So, and it's worked amazing. And I don't know, I think my husband came up with that idea. And I think he was just by default wearing a red hat. And they were like, oh, he they, they didn't disturb him. And he was like, you know, that's it. When I'm wearing the red hat, don't disturb me. And when I'm not, you can come and talk to me. So it's this weird thing that's worked out really well for us. But more than that, I think for me as a mom, or even as an individual going through just the situation, it's my morning routine or like that first the first 30 minutes of my day they literally they just kind of influence the rest of my day and I used to always have a morning routine but I feel now I have to carve out that time before they wake up because they're always here it's not like I can you know just take my time so I make sure I put an alarm and I'm awake 30 minutes before everyone else does and I do my little routine so that when I'm done with it I'm really ready for my day, right? What time do you wake up? So I wake up at 5.30. Actually, that's not true. Uh, My alarm rings at 5.30 and I'm actually out of bed by 5.45. So I'm kind of like lying in bed and then I'm actually rolling out by 5.45. And then my morning routine is about 30... Forty-five minutes, something like that, and I do the same exact routine every morning. It's not complicated. It's simple things like you know, just once I use the bathroom and come out, I just do my bed. And there's something about it. I spend like a good five minutes, like doing my bed. And my husband, he wakes up way before me. By the way, oh wow, okay. My husband meditates for like an hour and a half every morning, and he has a much stronger morning routine. He does pranayama, and he's been doing it for. Years now, years. But I used to do like a quick thing. And then I used to do my workout and meditation after the kids went to school, but that had to shift. And now I do all that before they wake up. So I'll make sure that I do my bed. And it's like the most... I don't know. It just sets the tone for my day. Like my bed is clean and my day begins. Right. And then I'll go and make myself some lemon lemon water and I'm just cleaning the kitchen a little bit while I'm sipping that water. Then I come in, I sit in my meditation. It's usually just about 10, 12 minutes, something like that. And Just because of the way I am, I do better with like a chanting meditation or meditation where I have a mantra, which I'm repeating as against a meditation that can be used for processing, which is something, which is what my husband does. Right now, the mantra that I have is I am grateful to be here right now. That's the mantra. It can change. It can be different that's what I'm repeating that's what I'm chanting and sometimes I don't know if you know what a rudraksha is but I have like this necklace with beads you can use any necklace and you know you push each bead every time you say the mantra and it, it's just a cognitive thing it helps you to stay present so I'll do the meditation and then I'll do like light stretching or foam rolling for maybe five minutes and then that's it then I'm out and about I'm ready for the kids, I'm ready for whatever it is that I have to do. But that's helped me
0: a lot, a lot. How did you get yourself there? How did you motivate yourself to do it? Were you always like this?
1: I have been doing a morning routine since I had Rian. Uh, so that is nine, for nine years now. And I think what happened was. I'm I'm pretty sure that in the beginning it was like a default thing, right? A couple of there were like a couple of times that it just happened that I was I was awake and I had like a little time in the morning. And it just felt really good to have that space. Like I don't think there was any routine, but that space that, oh my gosh, there's like 20 minutes to myself where there's no one else disturbing me and I'm with my thoughts just here. Right. And then I was like, Oh, let me see how I can build on it. And my morning routine has evolved so much in the past 10 years. Uh, There was a point when I used to journal. So I would spend like five minutes just it was like a brain dump, actually, not even journaling. It's like whatever comes to your mind, uh, just putting it on a piece of paper. There was another phase where I was doing it out loud, where I was doing affirmations, saying whatever it is that was coming to my mind out loud. I also, when it's summer, right now it's getting colder, uh, but when it's warmer outside, I spend like five minutes outside, just getting a little sun first thing in the morning. It's really good for circadian thinking as well. So it's evolved and changes. I just shared with you what I'm doing right now. But I honestly think, and I talk about this when I'm coaching clients a lot, that people think that needs to be this amazing, you know, morning routine where you've meditated and done yoga and, you know, have a gratitude practice and done it all. And it really doesn't, you know, it could be something very simple where maybe you're making yourself uh, like a therapeutic cup of tea. And you're sitting outside in your balcony or in your backyard and sipping it, right? And then maybe you are writing down three things that you're grateful for. That's that's five minutes, 10 minutes. It's not a long morning routine. It's just I feel like that little space gives your body or gets your body into that rest and digest mode or in that parasympathetic mode, which really dictates the tone of every action that you take after that throughout the day, your interaction with your children, your spouse, whoever you're working with, all of that. I think it influences all of it.
0: Do you also have an evening routine where you wind down? The I day? do actually. I have a bedtime routine. Ooh, what is it?
1: <laughs> yeah, like a little baby, I do because, and uh, I've uh, that's evolved actually quite a bit as well. The thing is that when my kids were toddlers, right, or they were five and below in age, they would sleep early. So they would be in bed by eight o'clock tops. And then I would have this beautiful, you know, two hour time period to do whatever I wanted, where I could actually sit in a bath and, you know, do all the good stuff. Now, my kids sleep after me. They don't sleep <laughs> till like 11. And they how might old's be your youngest again? He's nine. But my boy, so it's, I have a nine year old and an 11 year old, but they share a room right now. And I think it's a bad idea, honestly, because they love it, but they chat all night and they sleep and they want to sleep and we've tried different ways but for example so my husband does I'll I'll come back to my bedtime routine but my husband does a bedtime routine with them where they go in and they read a book and they do a little um, body scan meditation which is where they are lying in bed and he makes them go through uh, their body uh, from their head to their toe and they do a little breath work and it's very calm like you would believe that oh they're so exhausted they're going to turn in now and then we dim the light and we walk out and like within five minutes there's a party in there of course and this happens every day this happens every day so I don't know what but how effective that routine is I'm hoping that someday somewhere it'll you know influence them but they do it all and then they snap back into their chitty chatty mode and they don't sleep probably definitely till 10 30 because I'm asleep at that time so my evening routine has changed quite a bit because of that. But the two things that I always do are take a hot shower every, every night, no matter what it is. I take a hot shower and I light a candle next to my bed. And when I light the candle, I just think of one thing that was positive, that was uplifting, that was good, that happened that day right before I roll into my bed. And so it's not like this long routine. The other thing that we all as a family do is we switch off our phones, our televisions, as well as anything electronic um, after about seven. So we don't have any media after that. So the kids are intentionally either reading or we're talking to each other or they're drawing. I use that time to call family back home in India or something like that, where we're not on television at that time.
0: Yeah, they say a lot of that light anyway is terrible day, on your sleep. And sleep is so important mm-hmm. to protect. So I want to start talking a little bit about health and wellness and integrative nutrition. What exactly is integrative nutrition? Because it's something that we've heard about, but many people might not know what it is.
1: That's a good question. And you're right. It's, you know, there's so much information out there. So it's important to clarify what integrative nutrition means. And if you look at nutrition, the word nutrition, people often just think of food, right? Because it's the food that you're eating that influences your outcome. And that's, the way it's been traditionally seen. But with integrative nutrition, uh, we are trying to look at nutrition in a more uh, holistic way. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but most of the physicians as well as RDs uh, and nutritionists out there are now shifting uh, the, the way they're looking at nutrition and do understand that other factors like your stress levels and your mindset and the quality of your sleep all play a role in uh, how you look and feel and your overall health. So that's where uh, the word integrative nutrition comes in, because it it basically means that you're trying to look at health and nutrition in a more holistic way as against just uh, the food element of it.
0: Right. And I feel like most health and wellness people talk about either, you know, diet or either exercise or mindfulness. So I love the whole bigger picture. So you specialize in digestive health, hormonal health, and fat loss, but I want to kind of tap into also just this idea of holistic health and during COVID. So kind of talk to me about what you specialize with your clients, like how you work with them. And I would love to talk about like easy things that we can add to our day to really help boost, you know, our digestive health or boost this like hormonal balance and stuff, especially as busy moms.
1: Oh, I love that. So first off, I feel that all of us are different in terms of what may work for us and, you know, what doesn't. And I think it's important to understand that because uh there's a lot of fat diets and people want to follow them because they, they've worked on someone else or some celebrities promoting them or uh, someone else did well on that diet, right? So keto, for example, the, the, there's a space when everyone was on keto and there was paleo and there's carnivorous diet. And I'm sure there's 20 other ones that I probably don't even know of right so um, I think the the most important thing is to understand that we are all individual and uh, based on how we were born uh, let's say right whether we were born vaginally or whether we had a C we came out through a C-section, where we were born, what kind of environment was that, um, and in terms of temperature and food, as well as how we grew up and our health history, what what other factors influence, you know, where we are at right now. Did we have any disease or anything or any pre-existing conditions? So all that will influence where you're at right now, genetics, right? All that plays a role. And your outcome. But at the end of the day, what you're eating, how much you're moving and what you're thinking, right, are three things that are common with all human beings. Right. And if we uh, we've seen or there's so much research and so much science that if we can manipulate these in our favor, then we start seeing positive shifts in our health in our, our outcome, whether our goal is fat loss, because I work with a lot of women who are trying to lose postpartum body fat or women who have just started putting on pounds because they are in that perimenopausal or menopausal phase where your hormones dictate your metabolism quite a bit. But that being said, even if that bio-individuality exists and should be considered, what you're eating how much you're moving and what you're thinking are going to be your key game changers. If you want to make a shift towards, you know, your health, if you want to get healthier, if you want to see something positive happen in your health.
0: Going back to digestive health, hormonal health, what are kind of some things that we can implement like on a day-to-day basis? Like what, why are there so many gut issues? I'm like, I'm just thinking of myself, like, I got an endoscopy at one point because I just kept having stomach aches and they literally found nothing and they said, "Uh, you're fine. But yet I have so many issues. I have terrible allergies and I know I was doing a lot of research at STEM. So like gut health a lot of times, and it might not just be an allergy and same with like hormonal imbalance. I have PCOS. Like there's so many things I, I feel like they're wrong with me, but I know that I, I think it's like, if you change the, what you're putting into your body and what you're doing, it could make a difference than going on so many different medications. So I would love to learn what are some of the things like, say, you know, you just had a baby and you have like hormonal imbalances because you just finished breastfeeding or you are, or even going into it. I had PCOS. What are some diet changes or life changes you can make that are something you can do on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And so gut health, digestive health, and fat retention or fat loss, right? They're pretty interconnected if you think about it. One thing influences the other, but the underlying, so it's it's think of it like a pyramid, okay? Imagine a pyramid and at the base, at the bottom of that pyramid are your stress hormones, all right? So the hormones that regulate your fight or flight response or your rest and digest response, right? And those are adrenaline and cortisol right? And after that is your thyroid hormones. and then on top of that are your reproductive hormones, okay, where we commonly know estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, all these are your reproductive hormones. So the reason why you want to look at it as a pyramid is because if the bottom, the base of the pyramid is unstable, uh, which means if you are suffering from chronic stress, which a lot of us have in our lives right now because of COVID or because of our kids being at home, but life goes on and that the reasons for chronic stress can change, but we all have it, right? We all have stress in our lives. So if you don't have a clear stress management system, and if that stress stays constant in your life a lot of times you don't even notice it by the way because it just becomes a part of your life right so it's like every morning when you're driving to work you feel stressed because you're in that traffic jam and everyone's honking and it is sitting there but guess what you're doing it every day for 20 years so you don't think of it as stress or you know I have clients who go through phases in their work where or three months are just excruciatingly stressful and they've been at these jobs for years now so they just consider that stress as normal or uh, mom life right so just having kids and multiple things to coordinate and working at the same time and trying to navigate homeschooling and teenagers and all that stuff yes it's yes it's a part of life and it's going to be there but A lot of times we just kind of push our stress levels on the back burner. So these are all examples of chronic stress, which is very different from, let's say you were going to give a speech in front of 10,000 people, right? That's acute stress, which is good stress. You want to go do that and you feel that rush of adrenaline and then it dips, right? It's gone. But with chronic stress, you will see elevated levels of cortisol, all the time okay that's one hormone which it doesn't like just go up and dip right it just stays it takes a long time for cortisol to settle down so when that happens it automatically disrupts that pyramid that I was talking about and you're going to see changes in people's thyroid hormones, their metabolism, because that's what is affected by thyroid, and their reproductive hormones. So the reason why this is so important is because stress is always like, you know, the last thing people think about. But that's one thing that you want to definitely, um, you want to create a stress management system, you want to try to figure out what your common stressors are, And you have to learn to identify them before you get to the point where it just is impossible to come back. And then you have to figure out ways by which you as an individual can bust through that stress better, better, right? Because it's different for everyone. Like for me, working out or just going out for a walk in nature is really just, it's a good stress buster but for someone else it might be something else it might be journaling it might be meditation it might be listening to music it might be some other art form it might be talking to someone right so that's number one and i'm talking about these because they influence everything so even gut health right i'm sure you've heard of inflammation and leaky gut right that's when dysbiosis happens and dysbiosis is when there is a shift in your gut microbiome and you will see an overgrowth of the unhealthy or the bad bacteria in your colon and that can really disrupt your the lining of your digestive system and uh, cause inflammation. We can talk about that but stress has an influence on your gut microbiome, right? So that's number one. So stress, Okay. The second is, and these are all lifestyle changes, which are pretty simple. Second is what you're eating. And in terms of that, the number one thing that can really disrupt again, major disruptor is sugar, right? So if you're eating a diet that is high in sugar or just food that can easily get broken down into sugar, because a lot of people like, oh, we don't even have sugar at home. We just eat white bread and we eat pasta and we eat pizza, you know, and we eat tortillas and we eat chips and we eat fruit but we don't have any sugar so it's just what is sugar and you know what happens to your body on a metabolic level when uh, food that you eat quickly gets broken down into sugar also that cortisol which is always high when you're stressed will Want you to eat more sugar because you are under stress, you are under flight or fight, you need glucose, you need energy to run away from whatever it is that you are stressed out about, right? So, sugar is the second one, and really being mindful of what contains sugar, all the different sauces, and all the foods in your pantry. I mean, if right now, if you just get up and open your pantry or your fridge and take out Like a bottle of ketchup or a loaf of bread or anything that is packaged and look behind it, you'll see that there's at least a couple of grams of sugar in it, right? So it's that cumulative effect of all the sugars that you're eating throughout the day that can really disrupt you on that metabolic level and shift your hormones, shift your gut health and definitely add fat, right? Add body
0: fat. It's amazing to look at the back because I did a whole 30 a few times. And so I was really conscious about all the grams of sugar that I was eating and everything has like the ingredient in it. It's like cane sugar or some sort of type of sugar. And so it's, it's crazy that like everything has it. So
1: everything has it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the first exercise we do when we do our 10 week challenge, you know, we just, everyone just gets up. And goes to the fridge and pantry and gets five random things and if you look at them you 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 can just like add up and you'd be like oh my gosh that's 20 grams of sugar right Uh, and even fruit and I love fruit I'm not anti-fruit I think it's great Uh, anything that's whole and natural it's really good for you but fruit does contain fructose which is sugar and if you are someone who's trying to improve your metabolic health let's say you're someone who has PCOS or type 2 diabetes or thyroid issues right Hashimoto's things like that then even fruit needs to be eaten in moderation at the right time of the day preferably during your most active time of the day and things like that so sugar is a big one and it's such a wide topic, right? Because just removing table sugar and maple syrup and honey from your diet is really not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about creating meals that are really well balanced so that you are avoiding those spikes and dips in your blood sugar levels, and in your insulin levels, actually more than anything else, so that you're not damaging your digestive system and you're not disrupting your hormonal system.
0: You just said to eat it during your active time or like a certain window of time. Is it different for each person? Like what is your ideal time to be eating? For for fruit? Or yeah, fruit, any of the sugars. I know you talk a lot about intermittent fasting. I do that. I drink like a fatty coffee in the morning, but I'm pretty sure I need to stop drinking coffee because I think my adrenals are getting fatigued. (laughs) But besides all that, what is kind of the ideal window that we should be eating? Okay. So I
1: work with a lot of clients for fasting and fasting is, again, a pretty big topic. And with fasting, I'm talking about intermittent fasting, not extended fasting. So intermittent fasting is the maximum is like eight hours eating and the rest is your fasting, right? 16 hours. Anything more than that is considered extended fasting. And once you are, uh, once you get used to the 16-8 type of fasting, if you can do it comfortably four to five times a week, then you can... Start experimenting with those longer extended fasts a couple of times a week. So I just want to clarify what fasting is. But in general, let's say whether you're fasting or you're not fasting, eating carbohydrates, if you're eating carbohydrates, you're either going to do it if you are, if you know that you have burned them, like if you run like for 10 miles and come back and then you can have like a couple of pieces of toast with your omelet or whatever, that's fine or during the most active part of your day. Like for example, in India, um, in April and May, it's mango season, right? And mango is this beautiful fruit. It's full of fiber and it's full of nutrients, but it is really high in its glycemic index. It can really spike up your blood sugar levels. So what I would recommend it is that either eat it right before you work out, right? Because then you're going to move and you're going to burn that out or eat it right after you work out. Because that's when you're going to have the most calorie deficit. But now, if you imagine eating that same mango for dessert, after having dinner, you're eating a mango, that mango has nowhere else to go, but it, it will spike up your blood sugar, you will feel amazing, you will dance around your house. And then after that, you're going to crash, right? You're going to go to sleep. And that mango is going to basically get converted into glucose then glycogen and then in the morning you are gonna be like oh my tummy feels a little fluffier right that's exactly what happens so I don't think it's and the truth is that no one can avoid eating simple carbs completely right so there are going to be times in your life when you're going to eat pizza when you're going to eat pasta when you want to want like a nice piece of bread and butter right we all do that it's just if you do it a little more strategically it's just going to serve you better So when is really important, how much obviously is important. And I think fasting is a really great tool, again, for everyone, like how we were talking about stress management and sugar. Fasting was actually the third one that I was going to add to that mix because it really doesn't cost you anything, right? And it is something that most people can do unless you are pregnant, nursing, or you have some kind of underlying condition uh, where you just cannot do it, or you've had struggles with food, like issues with eating disorders and things, then you should be mindful because that can trigger them again. But for most average people, it's a really good tool. And it doesn't have to be 16-8, right? It can be 12, 13, 14 hours of fasting, because what it does is it trains your body to metabolically switch from using that glucose for energy to using that stored body fat for energy. And the more you do that, you're going to be able to use that fat in your body more efficiently, right? So that bulletproof coffee or that fatty coffee that you're having in the morning, that's great. And why does that work so well? Because it doesn't cause that spike in your blood sugar level. It gives you a lot of energy because fat is the most high energy macronutrient you can have right so it gives you a big boost in energy but more than that what else does it do it keeps you satiated right so you're full for a longer time and you can extend that fast for at least a couple of more hours as against let's say you had a few berries or some fruit you're gonna immediately in a couple of hours or less actually you're gonna want to have another meal
0: right i can drink my coffee at like eight and be okay until 11 o'clock and absolutely and Fasting for 12 hours, I mean, 12 to 16 isn't that long because if you think about it, if you eat dinner at, I mean, us with kids, like I eat dinner at like 6 p.m. or earlier, you just don't have your snack at like nine at night you have that be your last meal. And then, I mean, if you last till seven the next morning, that's already, you know, 13 hours or so.
1: That's exactly how I recommend doing it actually. And that's how it works best for women. Because if you do it more traditionally, which is you're eating later, right? You're not having your first meal till two o'clock in the afternoon. And then you're eating till eight or nine. And then you are not eating breakfast the next morning. And I feel that that can sometimes be, Too much of a hermetic stressor, you might see shifts in your period or just hormonal imbalances, which you don't want. So what you are doing actually is perfect to finish eating by 6 p.m. and then have your first meal anywhere between 12 and 16 hours, really. Right. And even if you can do a couple of days or three days of the 16 hours, that's really great. You don't have to do it every day. So that's an efficient tool, which I recommend everyone should experiment with. 12 hours is easy, even if you eat later, right? Let's say you're someone who who has to work and you cannot eat before eight or nine, but you can still do a 12-hour fast if you think about it. That's only nine to nine.
0: Right. And so you said the top of the pyramid is the hormonal, reproductive hormones.
1: The reproductive hormones. These are all hormones. This is the pyramid of hormones. But on the very tip of that pyramid sit your reproductive hormones, which means that they're the most sensitive and they're getting influenced by shifts and everything else that happens with you.
0: And say you do make it to that top. You've you've now conquered... Tier one, tier two, and now now we're at the peak of the pyramid. Are there any tips that we can do to now work on, like, say, you have terrible PMS or terrible cramps or things, and we've now worked on our stressors, but we're still having this? Are there any shifts that we can do?
1: Yeah. So you will still have them. So even if let's say you are uh, you're working on your stress management, you're working on your sleep, right? You're still going to see that throughout your cycle, you're going to see shifts in your mood, your energy levels, uh, what you're craving to eat, right? And that's normal as long as it's not disrupting your lifestyle because there are some women where it can get excruciating or it can get depressing. And when it starts affecting your lifestyle that way, then you need to do further investigations. But within that range of normal, you will see fluctuations throughout your cycle what i do recommend and which works really well for most of the women i work with is to kind of shift uh, the way you are eating working out and just your lifestyle depending on where you're at in your period you know and it's so interesting especially on the west side like i live in la and it's all go 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 right you live in la and it's it's just this mentality of not stopping right? You want to work out, you want to do the intermittent fasting, you want to just put a check on everything, no sugar, no alcohol, no, 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 right? And we do it 24-7, 30 days a month, if there are 30 days in the month. So if you can shift that and make adjustments based on where you're at in your cycle, and I'll just give you a simple way to look at it. Let's say your cycle is four weeks, right? And that may not be true for you, but this is just the most generalized ways that you have an example so let's say day one when you start your period to day 14 is the first two weeks of your period and you ovulate sometime around that day 14 right in the middle of your cycle and then you have the last two weeks of your cycle and then you start shedding and you get your period right so that first phase okay is when you are going to be more fertile, right? You're going to be ovulating. And that is the phase when you're going to see that your metabolism is going to be slower, right? And you're going to crave less of food. You're definitely going to have more estrogens. So you're going to have higher levels of energy. You're going to be able to endure harder workouts. You're going to be able to also fast for longer. And you're also mentally going to be more alert, more creative during those first two weeks. And then once you ovulate, you get into your luteal phase, right? And that is the phase when your estrogen will slowly start dropping, your progesterone increases, your appetite increases, you start feeling like eating more sweets, or just more calories in general, because your metabolism increases, right? You will see uh, shifts in your energy levels, you'll see them drop. And that's when you should really shift your workouts to something that's a little more easy, right? So maybe yoga or walking instead of like doing a peloton ride, right? And also paying more attention to your sleep. And you actually need 250 extra calories through those last two weeks. So really just respecting that and going, you don't have to eat a cookie, but you can eat an extra sweet potato maybe or whatever that looks like for you. But that is actually the way it's meant to be and a lot of times i think we try to fight that right and we try to keep going so and it doesn't have to be really that dramatic either but just listening to yourself and being like okay you know i'm like 7 days away from my period i really don't feel like doing that 6 mile run today maybe i'll just do a 2 mile walk right so that's the kind of adjustment that i feel is really helpful and knowing that, yes, you do need those 250 extra calories, especially towards the end of the utero phase.
0: That's good to know. Cause a lot of times, you, you know, people are on certain diets or things and they're yeah. like, well, we can't eat more than, but your body actually needs it in order to stay balanced. Yes. So that's, that's interesting now that we're going into, you know, 2021 and a lot of us have either been super unhealthy during quarantine or the opposite. My husband actually yeah. got in the best shape he did. But going into 2021 and thinking about, you know, what we want to do, I know you're running a 10 day challenge. Talk to me about the women that take part in this and what the goals of this are. Okay. So I
1: love my 10 week challenge and I'm not going to lie because it's really something that, uh, you know, we created after trying and testing and uh, this is the sixth round of the challenge so uh, every round obviously gets better because we're learning from uh, you know previous experiences and the way it works is it's a group challenge right and I think that's what makes it more exciting because we have women from literally all over the world come together and uh, work together as a group for these 10 weeks and everyone has different goals. We also have women from different age groups in the challenge. So it's not, we will have women typically between, I would say, late 20s to mid 50s. That's what typically it looks like. But it's still a pretty wide age range. And there will be different goals. So some women just want to do it because they want to, you know, brush up, their pantry. They want to make sure that what they're eating is really healthy. They want to learn healthy recipes. They just want to take a challenge because they love challenges. Right? And accountability
0: so enough- is key. I mean, accountability. I think- that's, I just did a challenge and it was a 28 day one. And honestly, yeah. if I didn't like sign up or do it, I probably wouldn't because you just push it off. You're like, oh no. But when you have that accountability, totally. it, yeah,
1: it's like, and then we also create accountability partners within the group. So you have a partner who you check in with, you make sure that you hold each other accountable. So yeah, so there's a lot of women who just do it for the because they want a good challenge, right? Then we have women who are doing it for fat loss. We have women who have chronic existing conditions like PCOS, PCOD, um, as well as type two diabetes or other hormonal imbalances or gut issues, Uh, and they want to really get those under control. So and they want to do it in ten weeks. So we have. We have that. Uh, So it's a really wide range. But I would say that the challenge is for anyone who wants to make a shift, a tangible shift in how they're looking and feeling, right? So going from point A to point B with accountability with getting to know amazing women we have these weekly uh, zoom coaching calls and they're super fun i mean we talk about diet and exercise and all that stuff but they are fun we laugh and we cry too actually and everyone it's emotional sometimes you know and it's at the end of it i think the amazing friendships made and um, i just i think it's incredible for them but also for me
0: (laughs) well that's incredible where can we find that challenge So I will give you a link that maybe you can add. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: the easiest way to do it is to visit my website. It is omwithatwist.com.
0: Which I love your name, by the way. Om with a twist. It's so cute.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's omwithatwist.com. So if you just go to my website, you will be able to see all the information about the challenge as well as other ways that you can work with me. I also do one-on-one coaching and I have other offers. I have a lot of free stuff there as well, workouts, recipes, and things that might interest you. So you can go and check that out.
0: Well, that's great. I want to wrap up with my final two questions. Okay. And the first one is, what is the superpower you gained once you became a mom that makes you better in business? Wow, that's a really good
1: question. I have to say patience patience and uh, I'm, I'm saying that in like the most positive way because I was not a patient person right I wanted everything to happen yesterday and with kids that's one thing that can really backfire and can really make your life hard if you're constantly expecting things to happen your way quickly right and yeah I don't think I learned it very early on though like the first couple of years were hard because I was like why is he crying for his first haircut you know or why can't he finish the whole bottle of milk and it was just this impatience like why is he not eating his vegetables or whatever it is and I think when I learned to let go and trust the process and just trust that as long as I'm doing the things that I need to do in my role as a mother, in my role as a wife, in my role as a business owner, with my clients, whatever other areas of my life, as long as I'm doing the work that I need to do, I just need to trust the process and not be so damn impatient.
0: I think we all need a little patience. And then lastly, what is your number one survival tip for moms right now to pretty much survive?
1: Yeah, I'd say create a morning routine for yourself spend some time this week and experiment with different ideas things that are doable and uh, easy enough so that you can do them every day and uh, something that doesn't require too much of your time or for you to go out of your way to get it done and then stick to it and do it for at least 21 days and see how you feel Uh, because it's been a game changer for me and when I say morning routine, maybe do it for five minutes, maybe do it for ten minutes, right? And if going out and getting some fresh sunlight it can be a part of that, that that's amazing. Good well, for you. thank
0: you so much, Uma, for joining today. I learned so much and I'm thank really you. excited to see what you do. So thank you. Oh my you. god, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.